This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and thrilled, as always, to be here with all of you today. Later on in today's episode, we will be answering a question from reader Gina Maloney. I suppose I should say I will be answering a question from reader Gina Maloney. I, I don't know why I always say we. I, I really have to break myself out of this habit. I, I will be answering a question. And if you would like to ask a question for me to answer or address or leave a comment or, or anything of that sort, for me to address in a future episode of Curl Up with a Cattail, head on over to GwenCooper.com, G-W-E-N-C-O-O-P-E-R.com. That's my website. You can leave a comment on the page for my podcast. You can use the contact form to send me an email. You can follow me on social media and leave me a comment there. There are all kinds of options for you to reach out. Also on my website, you can, of course, find out more about the books that I've written for cat lovers. And you can download a free copy of a new book about Homer the Blind Wondercat, and that is completely true and 100% legit. So head on over to GwenCooper.com right now for your free book. And the last little bit of housekeeping that I will do before we get into the meat of today's episode is to remind you that I do have a new book for cat lovers coming out in April. It is called You Are Possum. Reasons Why Your Cats Love You and Why Loving Them Back Makes You a Better Person. And I will be dedicating that book to one listener and his or her cats. And if you would like that to be you, if you would like for my new book, which will be read by thousands of cat lovers all over the world, to be dedicated to you and to your cats by name, then please leave a review of this podcast on iTunes by March 18th. And again, that's it. Just an iTunes review of this podcast by March 18th, positive or negative. Obviously, I hope you're enjoying the show, but I do want you to leave an honest review. And I will be randomly selecting one winner from those of you who leave a review of this podcast on iTunes by March 18th. So I had said earlier that, you know, I'd given you the ways to write to me or or, or reach out to me if you have a question that you would like me to answer. But I actually have a question today that I'm hoping maybe some of you can answer. I know that that many of my listeners and and it I, I find it um, just so incredibly meaningful and and such an honor, uh, truly, that so many of my readers and listeners are so active in animal rescue and in cat rescue. And I know that many of you listening have significant experience with with feral cats and and neighborhood cats. And so I have a question about about a feral cat who I have been feeding for the last several months on the back deck in my backyard. I should probably note here, by the way, that I feed a lot of animals in, on the back deck and in my backyard, um, cats and squirrels and birds, of course, 
and uh, a couple of, of skunks even who have made their way onto our property and, and look like they could use a good meal. This is something my husband remonstrates me for constantly. And and I do sort of see his point because there there is frequently a, a critter on our back deck and which makes it less accessible, let's say, especially when it's a skunk, <laughs> makes it less accessible for us to use ourselves. Um but my response to my husband whenever he says this is like, are, are you new here? You know, you given what you know about me, how well you know me and for how many years you have known me, do you honestly believe there is any scenario where any animal is going to come into this backyard hungry and looking for a meal and I am not going to provide that meal. I mean, I suppose at the extreme edges of things, if if wolves started roaming around in our backyard, sure, I'm not going to feed the wolf. I don't want wolves hanging around. The skunks, I will grant you, are a borderline case, but they're harmless if you leave them alone. And they are very cute and they're hungry. Um, but the point being that I, this is what I do. This is who I am. This is the ABCs of me. An, an animal comes here hungry. I will feed that animal. That's just who I am. And I started feeding this little black feral, very small um, black feral, a few months ago. And of course, I mean, right off the top, right? Homer was a tiny black cat. So tiny black cats hold a very special place in my heart. I always imagine that I am in some way feeding Homer's spirit uh, or, or paying it forward for all the incredible things he brought into my life when I take care of a cat who reminds me in any way of him. I should add, however, you know, when the when this cat first started coming to us to be fed, he was not in terrific shape. I mean, he wasn't in terrible shape necessarily. I've certainly seen worse, but one of his hind legs it was just completely bald. Uh, there was just no fur on one of his, on his right hind leg, um, his tail also was was very patchy and and looked almost like a little bloody in places. I don't know if it was mange or or some other kind of skin condition. There, there was obviously a problem, and it really is one of those situations where, when it's a feral cat, you you don't know what to do. Obviously, this is a cat who needs medical care and and some sort of medical help. But the question is, you know, in attempting to trap and treat the cat, are you going to be subjecting him to more stress than it's worth? So while I was trying to figure that out. I began feeding him. And when it seemed when he started coming around every day and then just hanging around in our backyard waiting to be fed, you know, it grew from one feeding a day to two to three feedings a day because he he would just he would lie there all the time in a patch of sunlight in the grass in our backyard. And then when he was hungry, he would come to the back deck. I work all day right next to the French doors that lead out onto our deck. So I would see the instant he came onto the deck. This is also why, by the way, I'm so intimately involved with the wildlife in our backyard because I work, I do all my writing at my desk, which is right next to the French doors that lead out onto our back deck. So all day while I'm working, I see the animals that are scampering, scampering around. It's it, And I know it I don't just know that we have squirrels. I, I can tell the squirrels apart and I know who they are and I know their personalities and I know which ones like to eat what. Uh, Lawrence always thinks that that it's remarkable that I have such de a detailed inventory of our local wildlife 
But again, I, I have to, you know, I, I know the audience I'm talking to, right? This would so be any of you. If you were sitting next to a window like mine all day long, you would do the same. You would know the same. You would know all the animals who come through. Anyway, you know, eventually I, I put a little shelter in the backyard for him. And I was very pleased to see as the weeks went by that he started looking, he, his fur started looking better. It started growing back in. Um, he seemed to also to be, you know, much higher energy when he first started coming to hang out in our backyard. He all he did was sleep, which I realize is what cats do most of the time. But really, all he did was sleep. And and it would be because I get up very early. So I'm pretty sure it was a real 24 hour cycle where he just was not leaving this one patch in our backyard except to come up to the deck for me to feed him. As time went by, as I fed him more and as he started to look better and healthier, he st- he started spending less time in our yard, and which was fine. You know, it was good to see it, – it, it's obviously – it's all good. It, it was good to see him regaining some of his energy and, and certainly to see the fur growing back was very gratifying. Um, but then he he stopped coming around and at first I thought the worst. You know, when you're feeding a feral cat – And one day that cat starts showing up. You know, again, those of you who feed ferals, I mean, you know how your heart just climbs into your throat and you're you're so worried that the worst has happened, that that somebody that the cat has been hit by a car or been injured in some way. I mean, that's the unbearable thought that maybe he's injured somewhere and and you would be so willing to help him, but you can't get to him and you don't know where he is. So I will say, though, that I have seen him much to my joy, I have seen, I, I then started seeing him around the neighborhood and hanging around in our backyard. He just has stopped coming to me for feedings. And um, my question is not whether I should take this personally, although, of course, it did cross my mind that maybe the cat was like, look, I mean, it was great. I needed the food. You gave it. But let's let's not make it a thing. You know, we're, you and me, we're not a thing. Um which is actually probably not an inaccurate assessment of how the cat feels. But I I just wonder, you know, I guess I'm wondering if this is normal, if maybe he just needed some help to get over a particularly bad hump in his life. And now that he has done so, he is going back to the life he was living before. And this is a good and positive thing. Or if I perhaps have unknowingly done something to put him off. Um, Again, I don't want to make this too personal. And I certainly don't want to make it about like hurt feelings or anything like that, which I can assure you I don't have. But I do want to make sure that I've not inadvertently made my backyard or back deck inhospitable to him in some way. You know, part of me wonders if maybe he had some sort of a kerfuffle with one of the other critters that likes to hang out in our yard. Um, but I did notice when he was around all the time, the, the other critters stayed away for a while. So I'm somewhat skeptical. You know, I was worried maybe the skunks, but I, I didn't smell anything skunky. You know, you could tell if a skunk is sprayed anywhere in the vicinity of your home. And I've smelled nothing skunky, certainly nothing that coincided with when he stopped coming around. Uh, so I am just curious. You know, like I said, I mean, his his little shelter is still there. Um, nobody sleeps in it, but it is there for him. And yeah, if, the, if this is if this is li- like sort of a, a typical part of the caring for a feral cat cycle, or if if there's something that I need to work on to make the backyard more hospitable for him. Again, my husband thinks that I'm nuts to worry about this this much. 
um, and also thinks I am nuts to feed as many animals as I do. And I have explained to him that he will literally have to trust me up like Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs if what he wants to do is keep me from bringing food into that backyard for the animals. So that's where things stand now. I would be curious to to hear your feedback, your input. Again, head over to GwenCooper.com. Or if you have my email address already, you can just email me there. Uh, but yeah, I would definitely love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, you know, part of me wonders... Um, and, and so those of you, you know, part of me wonders if it might be the food, if it might be the food itself that I am feeding him that he's not digging anymore. Uh, those of you who are follow, who are followers um, on Patreon, who support me on Patreon and who read the bonus column that I publish every couple of weeks will know that we've been having some food issues with our cats in our home. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, by the way, I encourage you to check out my Patreon page. And that's Patreon, P is in Peter, A, T is in Thomas, R is in Robert, E, O, N is in Nancy, dot com slash Gwen Cooper, all one word. So patreon.com slash Gwen Cooper. It's basically like the word patron with an E stuck in the middle there. And you can find all kinds of cool bonus stuff there. Um, bonus columns that I write, pictures that I of, of the cats and our family that I do not publish on social media. Uh, Lawrence is in my bonus podcast that we do together. If you've ever wondered what Lawrence sounds like when he speaks, you can also find out how you can have your name and your cat's name included in every book I publish this year. And there should be at least three of them. So head on over to Patreon. I definitely encourage you to check it out. And I recently wrote a column for my Patreon page, about some of the food issues we're having in the house. And, and basically what it comes down to is that I have around roughly, I'm going to estimate 237 cans of, <laughs> it's a, a very specific rough estimate, which should show you how this has been weighing on my mind. Um, 237 cans of food, of cat food in my cupboard And I am pretty sure that my cats are disappointed in every single one of them. Um, You know, I I feed my cats a variety of food. I always have. And and in the before times, before coronavirus, before quarantine, before it snowed for a solid month in February, making it really impossible for me to walk to the pet store, I would go to the pet store in person and buy my cats their food, and I would always get a nice variety, a couple cans of this, a couple cans of that flavor. And and so they would occasionally get bored of something, but it didn't. It was not an ongoing problem in our house. Um, then quarantine started, and I began ordering food from Chewy. And of course, on Chewy, the, the smallest unit in which you can order canned cat food is a case. So you can't just get two cans of this and two cans of that, you have to get, you have to commit to 24 cans of a flavor. And the reason why we have 237 cans in our cupboard is because it it just seems like as soon as I get a case of food, my cats who loved the food, loved the food two days earlier, have now decided that they can't stand it. They they won't even go near the bowl, the, the cat food bowl. While the food is in it, and I'm not sure when I developed this amazing ability to be able to tell the exact day when a cat would decide they hated a food they had previously loved, Um, but I can tell you that that day always seems to fall on the precise day 
when FedEx, the FedEx truck pulls up with a new shipment of Chewy bringing a case of exactly that food. So in other words, my cats love, love, love a food. I buy them an entire case of it. The day the case gets to this house is the day my cats decide, like, ugh, that is repulsive stuff. And now I'm stuck with the case of it. And so now I have at least 10 cases of food that my cats are not at all interested in anymore. You know, as I'm talking about this, I mean, I'm kind of hearing what the problem may be. I mean, clearly my cats are very spoiled and and they know that if they just turn up their noses, it's something I will, that I, their, their humble, cheerful, obliging servant, will immediately try to bring something else into the house for them to enjoy. So yeah, I, I, I do see <laughs> where, where I myself am part of the problem. Possibly even the entire problem, although I I really am just trying to do the right thing for my cats. But so the question, you know, part of me wonders if maybe this outdoor cat is himself going through a certain amount of fatigue with the food that I've been giving him. And I did try a few different flavors. He was a good eater. He's always been a good eater. Uh, One of the very gratifying things about feeding this feral cat, especially with my two spoiled, fussy little brats indoors is that unlike my two spoiled, fussy little brats indoors, he just always seems so happy for anything I put down. I, I started out just giving him things that my cats were turning up their noses at, but then I, when I realized there was one flavor of food that he really especially seemed to dig, that's what I started putting out for him all the time. Um, I, I did try putting out a couple of other flavors, too, when he started coming less frequently, but I'm wondering if if maybe I have created yet another <laughs> spoiled cat. You know, maybe my house, it's like for him, like one of those restaurants that you go to all the time and you love it and you go there for years to get the same dish every time you go. And then one day you realize you are so sick of that place that if you never see it again in your whole life, it will not be too soon. Um or one day you you go in and this restaurant that you love, all of a sudden the food just seems disgusting. And you wonder if maybe they've changed hands, perhaps there's new ownership, or if their standards have just really fallen. So I, I'm wondering if I'm fulfilling that role for this cat, where, you know, if he's telling his other cat friends like, man, I used to love this place, the, the food was great, the hours were great, the service was terrific, and but I don't know, lately it's all going downhill. Uh, perhaps I'm not providing good enough service for the animals in our in our area. Who's to say? Um, so, but I will say for my cats, you know, in terms of their pickiness. So my cats are litter mates, which means they are an actual genetic brother and sister. And yet my cat Fanny is very, very skinny, very slender, very sleek. Um, I, I always say she has the hip bones of a supermodel. She just has these very prominent, jutting, sharp hip bones. And then at the other end of the spectrum is my cat, Clayton, who is so pudgy and roly-poly. And and I have to tell you, um, I, I know for health reasons, it is not good for any cat to be overweight. And especially Clayton, who is a tripod, even if he has no other health issues from his weight, at some point, that one back leg that he has, which is carrying more weight than one hind leg is supposed to on a cat. And I do not want him to become arthritic as he gets older. Um, especially since he seems to keep, you know, to, to be gaining weight as he gets older. Um, both of them have, you know, good blood work and, and everything is fine in terms of their health. And some of it is just a spin of the genetic wheel. You know, Fanny is so skinny that if she were to lose an ounce, she'd be underweight. 
And Clayton is not an obese cat, but he's probably just barely on the right side of that. He is certainly an overweight cat, although, again, he's so mushy. He's just so mushy, and I love his mushy belly. And Clayton is one of he Clayton has this big, fuzzy belly, and he's one of those cats who will let you just rub and squeeze his belly. And, and it's so fuzzy, and it's so great. It reminds me of those gunned teddy bears. I don't know if you guys ever had a gunned teddy bear, or if you had a friend who had a gunned teddy bear, if you remember them, but they were so soft and so mushy. They were the very best teddy bears because they were just so, so soft and squeezy and fuzzy. And, and that is Clayton's big, big belly. And I love it. I, I, I can't help it. I'm crazy about his big belly. But the bottom line is, so so Fanny is really the fussier eater than Clayton, which I'm sure is part of the reason why she's so skinny and he is not. But it occurred to me at one point that, you know, if Fanny is, is too fussy and Clayton is is overweight, then that probably means that I am feeding them too much. So what I've started doing is trying to feed them a little bit less. And we will see how that goes. It's it's going to be a little bit of an experiment, a kind of a rude awakening maybe for my cats to suddenly find that their their diet is changing. I, I'm not going to make any dramatic changes. I'm not going to, you know, cut the amount of food that they get in half or anything bananas like that. But I am going to start, I'm going to try to bring the quantities down a little bit and see if that makes you know, Clayton a little slimmer and Fanny a little bit less fussy. And in the meantime, if anybody is interested in 237 cans of premium cat food that are essentially going to waste, um, you just let me know. Shoot me an email and I will uh, we, we will figure out a way to, to get those right over to you. I'm being somewhat facetious uh, because my, my cats will eat that food. I have donated some to a local shelter, which makes everybody feel good. It certainly makes me feel good to do it. They they are happy to get it. But my cats are not getting off the hook that easily because this food, man, it costs like two bucks a can. And and that's that's a lot of a lot of scratch, as they say, to just uh, kind of torch or or give away uh, because my cats have decided that that they want to be spoiled. I'm also pretty sure that if I were to just give away or, or toss out five, roughly $500 worth of cat food on the grounds that the cats decided that, nah, we used to like it, but now we're kind of lukewarm on it, um, my husband's head might actually explode. And then in addition to having fussy cats, I would also have a husband with an exploded head so really, um, we, we obviously have to try to find a better solution to the problem in this house. I'm going to keep you guys posted and let you know how it all turns out. In the meantime, I now am going to answer the question from reader Gina Malone. So stick around for more Curl Up With a Cattail. Thanks so much for sticking around. The letter that I will be answering today comes from reader Gina Malone. I'm not sure if this is Gina Malone or Gina Maloney. Um, so if I'm butchering your name a little bit, I do apologize, Gina, but thank you so much for sending me the question that I will be answering in today's episode. And Gina's question is, 
what are some of the funniest emails that you have gotten from readers over the years? Um, so, so I should first say, just to contextualize uh, me and and reader emails, let's say, um, Homer's Odyssey was first published. Oh my gosh, in two thousand and nine. And since then, I have gotten roughly, and this is true, 20,000 letters, 20,000 emails from readers. And I am proud to say that I have responded personally to just about all of them. Uh, not literally every single one, but but pretty darn close to everyone. And most of the letters I get are, I mean, I would use a million adjectives to describe them. I would use adjectives, you know, like, warm, earnest, inspirational. I don't know that I would say that they are funny per se. Um, I, I do. I really love hearing from readers. The, the emails that I get from readers are overwhelmingly positive, um, which I find very humbling, especially in light of the fact, you know, I, I will get an email from someone who will just go on and on, right? Uh, saying very nice and admiring things about me. And then we'll talk a little bit about themselves and in doing so and without realizing it, reveals themselves to be a much, much better person than I am. I, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I guess I, I, part of it, I, I feel this sort of guilt a lot of the time. Reader letters do make me so happy, but I feel a certain amount of guilt because I am very aware of the fact that I do not deserve much or even most of the admiration that comes my way. I I did a good thing for one cat, and and I am so delighted to know that the book that I've written about Homer or the books that I've written about cats in general have meant a lot to to a certain subsection of cat lovers. Um, But I hear from so many people in rescue who, who really are just much better people than than I am. And um, and so I, I know their admiration to be a little bit misplaced, I guess. And and yet by the same token, it is it, I wouldn't want to not hear from them because it is so it really is so inspiring and so moving for me to hear their stories and to hear about all the good work that they're doing. And I will say, you know, one thing that I hear a lot from people who work in animal rescue is they they talk about how animals are so much better than people. And, and there's a general sense from a lot of people who work in rescue about being very disheartened with with, with humans. You know, animals are wonderful. Humans can be cruel and, and unkind. And, and look, I understand if you like animals better than you like people, I totally get that. And and I've discussed this in, in previous episodes of this podcast it is certainly much easier to to i mean relationships with animals can be so much easier than they are with other people it is so much easier to make an animal happy that the emotions are so deep and yet so much less complicated and and so i really do understand that but by the same token i will say this i am in the incredibly fortunate position of hearing from so many people who do genuinely good things for for small and helpless animals. And I get to see how many more good people than bad people there are out there. The reason why most people don't know that is because the, the news always covers the bad stuff. You know, the, obviously the news covers the, 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 the mass shooters, the, the kidnappers, the, the, the thieves, the con artists. These are all things that make the news. 
And acts of goodness and kindness are, are, are quiet. And they happen in, in hidden and out of the way places. And most people only get to see or even know about so many of those things over the course of, of a day or a week or a lifetime. I hear from amazing people every day. So I really do get to see goodness in action every day. I get to see more goodness than badness, even staying on top of the news. So I can watch the news and hear all the ter- terrible stuff and still in any given day, I get to hear about more good things that people have done, and more good and kind and, and meaningful things that people have done than bad things. And, and that makes me incredibly lucky. And so even though I, I don't deserve all, all of this goodness that pours out to me from all of these letters from readers, I am so incredibly grateful for it because it really is the thing that, that keeps me feeling that, that the world is a good place and that it, it's worth trying to do good things in it. Having said that, of course, none of this is, is funny, right? Nothing I've said right now is is a laugh riot or, or is particularly humorous. Um, I, I have over the years gotten some some really adorable letters from younger readers. I've had people, you know, they're, especially when the book first came out, there was a, a definite appeal to a certain kind of middle school girl who like, a you know, an 11, 12, 13 year old girl who loves animals and really loved Homer's Odyssey. And, and those were great letters. It's always great to hear from kids. Um, having said all of this, I, I would have to say that the funny letters are probably the, the negative ones. And, and again, the letters that I get are overwhelmingly positive. But of course, there are some negative ones. I, I am so lucky as a writer that, you know, I, I do tend to get such positive feedback from readers. But of course, you you can't please all of the people all of the time. And I have definitely gotten some irate, upset letters over the years. I I remember one email that I got from somebody who had just finished reading Love Saves the Day, and she did not like the book. Uh, She she found it tough to take. It made her cry. It made her sad. She she did not like it. She wrote me, it was a short email basically complaining about like what a a gut-wrenching, awful experience it, it was to read the book. And then she said, I I turned to the back of the book and I saw your author picture. And my question for you is, what are you smiling about? Which I felt was a very, in other words, she was saying, I had written such a bad book. Like, what are you smiling at? Your book is terrible. Um, At least that was the voice I heard it in. Like, I heard it in this really Staten Island voice in my head. So so she was basically saying that I wrote a, a book that was so bad that I literally did not deserve to smile ever, apparently. Um, or maybe she was implying that that I was smiling at at the emotional trauma I had just wrought upon readers, you know, like kind of like an evil. Supervillain grin or or something like that. Um so so that that was one. I, I did once get an email from a reader who apparently had meant to purchase The Odyssey by Homer and instead had ended up purchasing Homer's Odyssey from Amazon. He was clear in the letter that he'd gotten it from Amazon. He was it was a very angry letter. He accused me of trying to confuse readers and fool them into thinking that they were buying the great work, the Odyssey by Homer, rather than my stupid cat book. And he did use the phrase stupid cat book about a stupid cat. Um, And he 
you know, he was very upset about the money he had wasted and concluded by hoping that both Homer and I would die soon. Uh, that that last part is not funny. I, I will grant you maybe none of it is funny, but I, you know, again, I couldn't help. Like, like seriously, what part of, of the cover of my book, of Homer's Odyssey, did not tip you off to the fact that this was not the Odyssey by Homer? First of all, the Odyssey by Homer is called The Odyssey, and and it's by Homer, whereas my book is Homer's Odyssey by Gwen Cooper, and my name is is very prominently listed on the cover. Um, there is a subtitle to Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat. So the use of the word cat and, and its synonym feline should certainly ha- would tip off the casual observer to the fact that the book is about a cat. Also, the fact that there is a picture of a giant cat on the cover of the book. So so basically what you have here are just like a whole lot of red flags that if, if you're a person looking for the Odyssey should tip you off that this is not the Odyssey. And even if you have managed somehow to to miss all of those, again, and I really can't emphasize this enough, there's a giant picture of a cat on the front cover of the book. Um, but if you've somehow managed to, to miss all of these contextual clues that might tip you off as to what the book is about, Amazon will, of course, cheerfully refund your money or replace the book you purchased with a copy of The Odyssey by Homer. Um, so in that context, it seemed like like wishing death upon me, certainly upon the cat who was blameless in this whole thing, but it's not his fault that I wrote a book trying to trick people into thinking they were buying ancient Greek classics instead of my heartwarming, you know, cat story about a little blind kitty. That is certainly not Homer's fault. Homer is is blameless entirely. And, and so to, to wish harm upon him uh, just really, you know, seems like it like it's carrying things a, a step too far. Um, I, I did also once get a, 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 an email. And again, th- this is not necessarily funny. I got a very long email from a reader who was very concerned for me. Um, she was convinced that Lawrence was trying to slowly poison my cats as a way of eliminating them from my life so that he could have me all to himself. Um, she did at one point in the email refer to him as a charismatic alpha male, which Lawrence found very tickling because, um, and and I love my husband dearly, but but very very few people would call him an alpha male. My my uh, my husband is is not one of those you know like fratish, chest thumping, uh, macho type alpha male guys. You know my my husband is a a, a northeastern Jewish film reviewer. And who could certainly, if he had to, I, I'm assuming, handle himself. You know, this is what he, this is what he always likes to say: that he will always stand up for me in in a fight. He will always take up you know cudgels for me, unless he can talk his way out of it first. And and that's probably my husband to a T. Um, but it was a very long email, you know, about how my husband, she believed, was was trying to to poison the cat slowly so that he could have me all to himself. And she was also pretty sure that he was probably cheating on me. And and suggested that I should hire a private investigator to follow him. And let me just start out by saying that this letter really did. It was a very long and heartfelt email. It came from a very real place of concern. I am certainly not mocking the person who wrote it. And and I find it, I mean, not only touching that somebody was this concerned for me, but I think also important that if we think what we see are red flags, we we try to reach out to someone who we think might be in trouble. 
Um, sometimes you're going to be wrong and the person will be fine, but sometimes you will be providing a much needed lifeline. And I don't want to dismiss that. The, the thing that I really found funny about the letter that Lawrence and I did laugh about was her suggestion that I, that I hire a private investigator to follow Lawrence around. Um, because we, <laughs> we don't go anywhere. Lawrence and I, even before quarantine, you know, I always say that that of everybody we know, Lawrence and, and I were the people who were the least affected by the shutdown during COVID because Lawrence and I are both wor- stay at home writers. We both work at home. We we are both writers. We both work from home. We are together to a, an extent that is probably abnormal among married couples, certainly unusual. We we really, we are to get, we are at least within the same vicinity all the time. And Lawrence will be the first one to tell you that there, our house has an upstairs and a downstairs. And he works upstairs all day. And I work downstairs. And that is true. We're not in a studio, you know, 500 square foot studio on top of each other. Having said that, though, it, it is still a lot of togetherness. It, it, it really is. And you know, especially when when this email was written, we were living in our apartment in Manhattan and there was no upstairs and downstairs. There there was a second bedroom that Lawrence used as his office and a third bedroom that I used as my office. And so we used to imagine like like the world the, the world's most bored private investigator, ca- you know, casing Lawrence. Uh the only way he could follow Lawrence around, he would have to literally hide in the linen closet, that the hallway closet rather in our apartment and his notes would be something like 10.05 a.m. Subject left home office and went to bathroom. 10.07 a.m. Subject returned from bathroom to home office. I mean, that it would be pages and pages of stuff like that. Um, actually, Lawrence and I, and, and this is probably, you know, part of what we, what we, even Lawrence, who would tell you that he was not a cat guy before he and I got together, but he he loves the cats dearly now. And I know this is something he respects about the cats. Um, Lawrence and I are both incredibly lazy. It, this is just something that we really, you know, we, we do travel, we go places, we go out, we work. Uh, but we're also, when I say we're lazy, I mean, I think I speak for both of us when I say that the idea of having an affair, of having a relationship on the side just seems like so much work, you know, that's like two people you got to talk to and and keep happy and and keep the details of their life straight and ask about their day and 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 listen to them tell stories about whatever it is their parents or you know their mom is doing that's annoying them right now and and it just seems like way too much energy and and uh, you know when you could just as easily spend that time seeing what's on Netflix or or watching, you know, Lawrence gets every DVD in the world because he's a DVD reviewer. So there's just always something easier for both of us to do than go out looking uh, for, for things outside of the marriage. And so, it, you know, it was these sorts of things that, that struck us as very funny upon receiving this email. Although, again, I do want to emphasize that that it, it is uh, – I was certainly moved by the fact, all kidding aside, that somebody was concerned enough for me and for my well-being to to reach out and and try to – to to raise a you know raise a red flag. Again, this is not funny. I did I, I did over the years receive one legitimate death threat about Homer. Um, and this was from somebody who thought that Homer's face was disgusting and was tired of seeing it on social media. And and right off the top, you can of course block any page you want to on Facebook. You don't have to see anyone on social media. But that Homer was a dirty stray with a disgusting face 
and that if he got the chance, he would find out where we lived and he would come and hurt Homer so that I couldn't put pictures of Homer online anymore. I was still living in Manhattan at the time that I got this email. I might have been I, – I, it was, of course, somewhat worrying. I, I, I don't want to make light of it. I felt I, I felt somewhat better given that Lawrence and I, we were living – actually, Lawrence had been living for 25 years in a rent-controlled sublet. Um, it was one of those New York deals that you hear about where somebody has – pays a ridiculously low rent for a very large apartment. Um, and so there was the person – you know, and it, it's – Basically, there was the person whose name was on the lease who was getting that deal, and Lawrence had been subletting from that person for 25 years. So I, I was not worried that this person would be able to track us down because there, you know, my name was not on the lease, and it would have been hard to find an address for me through the kind of casual record search that so often turns up addresses. Um, having said that, I was also – I didn't want to be complacent about it either. It, it was awful. I mean, it was I, – I don't want to minimize that. It was really awful. And it mostly, you know, my first feeling, my first feeling upon reading it was being very hurt, not, not for my own sake, but, and of course I know, I mean, Homer was never going to hear the insult it would have meant. If I had sat there and read the email out loud to him, it would have meant less than nothing to Homer. He was a cat. But I still could not help but feel that, that twinge that you feel, um, you know, when when someone is insulted, someone you love to say that Homer, I mean, I loved, I loved Homer's little face. It was it was something that so reliably made me happy. I, I feel myself choking up now, even even as I say it, I loved his little face. And so to hear somebody call that disgusting was certainly very upsetting for me. Um, but mostly I was angry that somebody would threaten us and and that they would think it was okay to do that. And 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 certainly to threaten my cat. So I will say that the person who sent us this email was something of a criminal genius. And the reason I say that is because his email address was his actual name with the middle initial. So, I mean, his name was John, not John Smith. It was, you know, something much more specific than that. But it would be like, you know, his email address is basically like John R. Smith at gmail.com. Again, though, it was not a generic name like John Smith. It was a it was a name that I've, you know, it was a specific name with the middle initial. The other thing um, that that the gentleman did not perhaps realize, I mean, so that obviously he knew he he sent it from his own email address. That was his name. Um, what he could be forgiven, that was really stupid, right? I mean, if, if you're going to threaten someone, if you're going to commit the crime of threatening someone via email, then you should at a minimum probably try to hide your identity a little bit. Um, what he can be forgiven for not knowing is that my website routinely records the IP address that emails are received from through my contact form. Um, so if you send me an email through, and, and I don't want anybody to, to freak out about this, this is just like something that that really, you can always get this information. For me, it was easy to do. I did not have to put in a special request, but this is information that is always available. Um, and an IP address, for those of you that, who don't know, basically tell, gives you a geographical range of where an email or, or, or a computer, you know, some, an, an internet post comes from. It, an IP address corresponds to a physical address, not a, a, a one specific building, but a five block radius. So if you have someone's name with their middle initial, 
And, you know, you know to within a five block radius where the email was sent from, then assuming they if they sent it from their home, it's it's not really difficult to find their home. And, and as it turns out, again, computer genius, and I just almost said his name, um, he didn't even send the email, like go someplace else. He didn't even go to a Kinko's or, or something like that to send. He sent the email from his house with his own IP address using his own name. And it took me I, all of about 30 seconds to just by doing a Google search by his name in his town to find the record for the sale of his house at 30 seconds. Within 30 seconds, I had a Google Earth picture of the front of his house. And so what I did was, you know, so he had sent me this email saying he, he, Homer was disgusting. Homer was a filthy stray with a disgusting face. He didn't want to see Homer's face on online anymore. And if he did see Homer's face again, he was going to come and, and hurt me and hurt Homer to keep us from posting anything online again. And so my response to his email and and for, you know, I'm obviously very I, I have a lot of words at my disposal, obviously. Um, but I, I wrote back to him. I didn't say one word. My response to him did not consist of a single word. It, it consisted of one thing. And that was a picture of the front of his house. So he sent me this threat and I sent him a picture of the front of his house. In other words, letting him know, dude, I know who you are. I know where you live. Despite his obviously thinking that, that he was some sort of, of criminal mastermind, right? A, a, a true criminal genius. Um, I've, I never revealed his name or his address. I suppose that, you know, more even than the I will come to your house and hurt you, the implicit threat when you have a large social media following is you know, I, I will let it, the world know your name and your address, um, which, of course, I, I did not do and would not do or I would need much greater provocation than that. Um, so, you know, I, I, I guess, Gina, and, and I'm sorry, I, I don't necessarily I, I'm sure I have gotten funnier emails over the years, but but these are the ones that stand out as having provoked some sort of, of humorous or unusual response in me Um because truly, people don't write to me to be funny. No one's no one's trying to be a, a comedian. When they send me emails, they are for the most part telling me that they love Homer or the other cats, you, you know, Scarlet or Vashti or Clayton or Fanny, or all of them, and then taking the opportunity to tell me about their cats or or their volunteer work and and just such earnest, beautiful emails that that I really do feel so lucky to have received over the years. Speaking of which, if you would like to send me an email or if you would like to send me a question or a comment that you would like me to answer or address on a future episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper, head on over to GwenCooper.com right now. That's G-W-E-N-C-O-O-P-E-R.com right now. Um, you can fill out my contact form. You can leave a comment on the page for the podcast. And again, do not forget, if you would like my upcoming book, You Are Possum, Reasons Why, wait, sorry, You Are Possum, Reasons Why Your Cats Love You and Why Loving Them Back Makes You a Better Person. If you would like that book to be dedicated to you and your cat, if you would like to just own that first dedication page that goes right in the front of the book, please remember to leave a review of this podcast on iTunes. And please also remember to hit the subscribe button and that way you will never miss a new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail. And just thank you. Thank you so much for listening and for hanging out with me and for writing letters and for loving cats and for spending this time with me. 
And I look forward to continuing our conversation on the next episode of Curl Up with a Cattail. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.